Before Peter comes to speak to us, a reading this morning is from Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 3. The Son superior to angels. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. Well, thank you, Berto. And as we come to God's word just now, why don't we pray together? Father God, we pray that as we begin this new series in the book of Hebrews, that you would come and speak to us through your word by your spirit. We pray that your word would take root in our hearts and our minds for your glory and for your honour. Amen. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service this morning, uh, as we're thinking about this theme for the year ahead of coming to Jesus, we begin a new series today in the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is a wonderful book. It helps us to see how Jesus is greater than any who have gone before him, that he is our great high priest, that he is our wonderful saviour. And of all the books in the New Testament, Hebrews draws upon the Old Testament the most. And it helps us to see how Jesus is the fulfillment of all that we read in the Old Testament scriptures. And my prayer is that as we go through this series, that we would firstly grow in our knowledge of the Old Testament, that secondly, we would see how Jesus is the fulfillment of all that is written in the Old Testament. And thirdly, that we would see the connections between the Old and the New Testament more clearly, especially between books like Leviticus, which we're going to draw on heavily in coming weeks, and books like Hebrews. And there's a reason that Hebrews draws so much on the Old Testament, and that is because of the audience that it is written to. You see, this uh, book of Hebrews is written primarily to an audience of Jewish converts to Christianity. And they're facing some opposition. They're facing suffering. They're facing persecution. And around them, they have this group of people who are trying to entice them back to the Jewish faith and back to the Jewish practices of worship and sacrifice. And the author of this letter, and we don't know who the author is, under the inspiration of God, is seeking to write to them to build up their faith. And he's trying to make them see that they have made the better choice. That Jesus and the new covenant is far superior to anything that they have left behind in Judaism and the old covenant and those practices of Jewish worship. And so that is the underlying premise of this book. And it's written to encourage these people in their faith and to remind them that the Christian faith is greater than anything that they had received before as Jews. 
There's a second group that we will see referred to as we go through this series. It's a group of Jews who are probably on the periphery of this Christian community. Uh, They're looking on at this church. They're looking on at Jesus. They've been attracted to the person of Jesus. Uh, They're still trying to work out in their minds if he is truly the Messiah. But more and more, they're coming to that intellectual point of belief that he is. And we will see the writer reaching out to them, trying to convince them to take that step from Judaism to Christianity, uh, to believe and to receive and to have faith and experience that salvation that Jesus and Jesus alone offers. So this morning we begin by unpacking what are really powerful opening verses within this book. And I pray this morning, just as we spend a few moments in these first three verses, that it's going to deeply encourage your hearts this morning. And to set the scene and to begin to understand what is going on, uh, Exodus 33 is a helpful launch point for us. And so if you've got your Bibles, Exodus 33, we're going to start reading at verse 12 and we find Moses having this conversation with God. It says this, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Now here in Exodus, God, as we know, has raised up Moses to lead the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt. And by Exodus 33, Moses has seen some incredible demonstrations of God's power that far exceed anything that you and I will experience in this life as God uh, sets free his people through numerous plagues and then leads them out. Uh, of Egypt, uh, parting the Red Sea and across into the wilderness. And so Moses has seen God's power demonstrated. He has also seen God's promises fulfilled that what he promised to do, he has delivered. And Moses has been part of seeing those promises fulfilled in his own life. Here is a man who felt so unworthy and unable to lead this people, and yet God promised that he would be with him and would use him. And so faithfully he has answered those promises and fulfilled them. 
And so Moses has known God's power. He has known God's promises fulfilled. And here, as we were reading, Moses has experienced something of the presence of God. And in this conversation is asking that God would continue to go with them, that his presence would be known in and among the community of God's people. And they've seen that through the pillars of cloud and the pillars of fire. They knew God's presence with them. But there's one thing that Moses has not experienced, that he has not known. Look at verse 18. And Moses makes the simple request. Moses says to the Lord, Now show me your glory. Now show me your glory. What does Moses mean by that request to God? Well, what Moses is saying is this. God, I've known your power. God, I've known your promises fulfilled. God, I've known your presence with me. But now I want to know you, God, and to see you, God, in person. You see, Moses knows all the things that are associated with God, his power, his promises, his presence. But now he wants to know God intimately. He wants to know who God really is. What a powerful prayer that is. What a powerful request. This is beyond doubt one of the most intimate exchanges recorded in God's word between God and man. It is of the Old Testament the greatest request ever made of God. A request to see God. A request to truly know him. This is at a time where there is still a barrier between God and man. And yet Moses just longs to know the God that he is following and serving. To see him in person. I believe that God loves this request from Moses. I believe that it brought him great pleasure. To know that Moses wanted to see him, to know him intimately. And that is seen in the text as God agrees to the request. But there's a condition. And it's for Moses' welfare. You see, God knows that if he brings the fullness of his glory, that his glory is so brilliant, so radiant, so perfect, so flawless, that none could truly see his glory and live. What Moses asks is actually impossible. We think of the brilliance of the sun in the sky when it's not a cloudy day in Glasgow and how we can barely look at it. And if we were to get too close to it, we would be consumed. How much more so with the glory of God. And so God comes up with a plan and he says, go up there, Moses, climb up into that rock. And in the cleft of the rock, I'm going to cover you with my hand. And I'm going to let my goodness pass in front of you. God says to Moses, you want to know my character, my essence? You want to know who I truly am? Then in my very essence, I am good. I am a good God. I am the one whose love endures forever. I am the one who is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. 
And I'm going to cause my goodness, my glory to pass by you. And as it passes by, I'm going to cover you and protect you with my hand. And then here's what I'm going to do, Moses. Just as I'm about finished passing by, I'm going to remove my hand to allow you to have a glimpse of me from behind. And that is what happens. And the experience is so profound that just in glimpsing for a second the glory of God, Moses' face radiates for days on end. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. And the Son is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Here in these powerful opening words, the writer reminds us that in the past, in the Old Testament, God spoke to his people through different means. Sometimes he spoke through the prophets. Sometimes he spoke through angelic beings coming to visit God's people. We'll look more at that sort of thing next week. But now as we step into the New Testament, God has done a new thing. He has spoken in a new way. He has revealed himself in a new way. For Moses, even to get a glimpse of God was an amazing thing. But now here we are in the New Testament. And the New Testament reveals to us that at a point in history, God revealed himself to humanity in a new way. What was that new way? Well, it was through sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Verse 3 of Hebrews, we're told that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. What does that mean? Well, it means that if you want to see the glory of God, if you want to know who God is in his essence, if you want to know God intimately, then we only need to look at Jesus. This is the profound revelation of the Christian faith that God is best seen in Jesus Christ for Jesus is the Son of God. It is the greatest revelation of the Christian faith that God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, eternal, majestic, holy can be seen and known through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the essence of God. All that Moses wanted to see and understand of God, we can now see and know and understand in the person of Jesus. Moses prayed, show me your glory, and he saw the back of God in passing. Today, we don't need to see God in passing. We can look at Jesus. And in looking at Jesus, we can know God in ways that Moses would have thought unthinkable. That glory that Moses desired to see is seen in Jesus Christ. 
all that Moses longed to know about the being and essence and character of God, Jesus reveals he is the exact representation of his being. What an encouragement for these Jewish Christians. An encouragement that they have not traded in something greater for something less in following Jesus. Quite the reverse. They've had the full upgrade. All that the prophets of the Jewish faith long to see and know is now found in the one they worship, Jesus Christ. Why would they ever go back? And look what it says about Jesus in verse 2 and 3. It says, He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Note just briefly three things about Jesus as we draw things to a close this morning. Firstly, Christ was present at the beginning of everything and Christ is the source of life itself. Hebrews tells us that through Jesus, the universe and everything in it was made. And not only was it made, but he is the one who is sustaining it by his powerful word. Jesus wasn't just intimately involved at the beginning. He is intimately involved in all the details of life, including your life and my life today. And it is through the work of Jesus that our lives are sustained day by day. And the text tells us that Jesus has been appointed heir of all things. You know, when this world comes to pass away, it is Jesus who will inherit it all. He will rule over it all as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And all creation will one day bow down and kneel before him and worship him. Jesus is the beginning and the end and everything in between. All of life revolves around him. And so isn't it natural that as a church family, that all that we are and all that we do should revolve around him also? Later on in this book, we're going to come to Hebrews 11, that great hall of fame of people of faith, people from the Old Testament, all who did great things by faith for God. And at the end of the list, I wonder if you've ever looked and seen what it says at the end of the chapter. It says these words, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they, and that's Abraham, Moses, David, etc., be made perfect. What is that something better that God planned for us? Well, it was Jesus. These great men and women of faith that we're going to read about longed for the day that they could see God, that they could know God. They wanted to know him fully. And the wonderful assurance we have today is that we can now know God in that new way through Jesus Christ. As we end today, one day we will see Jesus. We celebrated Easter. 
We celebrated that purification for sins that Jesus brought us on the cross. And we know that now he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And one day we will see him in a new way. We will behold his glory in a new way. We will worship him. But as we wait, we want to have that longing. That longing to know more of God that Moses had. We want to hunger to know God. Not just to know his power. Not just to know his promises fulfilled in our lives. Not just to know the blessing of his presence with us. But we want to know God in person. We want to hunger for more of him. To thirst for more of him. To desire to know him more intimately in our lives. To not be satisfied with just where we are in our walk of faith today. But to yearn for more. As I've been speaking to some of you over this last year, I believe that that is something of what God has been stirring up in our hearts. A desire to know him more. A desire for intimacy with God. That our prayer and worship and reading of scripture would not just be an activity. That as Christians, we wouldn't just feel at ease in God's presence, but we'd have those holy moments where we just marvel and wonder at the glory and the majesty of God. And that something deep within us would just continue to yearn for more. To yearn to know him more deeply in our lives. And to yearn to see more of his glory resting upon our church family. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. He is good. He loves us. He has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. Let us push in further as we spend time in his word and in prayer and worship. And let us ask God that as we go through the series in Hebrews, that we would come to know God more and that we would come to know him more intimately as we spend time looking at Jesus. Let us pray together. Father God, this morning we pray thanking you that we have received something greater as Christians than Moses could ever imagine. We thank you that you were pleased to reveal to us your glory through your son Jesus Christ. We thank you that you were pleased to reveal to us your essence, your being, your very character through the person of Jesus. What you spoke in the Old Testament about your goodness, we thank you that we see that in Jesus Christ who is the exact representation of your being. And we thank you that as we look to Jesus, we are drawn to him for he is good. And he modeled your love, your deep, deep love for us. We thank you that he was merciful 
and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. What a perfect saviour. Why would we not want to spend more time in his presence getting to know him, building our life upon him, deepening our walk with him? Lord, we pray that this day that we might rejoice that together as a church family that we have been able to spend some time in your presence. And I just pray a blessing on all those who are watching this morning. May they know you with them this day, encouraging their hearts, spiritually protecting them, watching over them. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.